of Exodus. We're going to continue our study in uh, Exodus called Getting Out of Egypt. And uh, that will be uh, where we are this morning. Forgive me, my technology has failed me once again. So Exodus chapter Exodus chapter 8. So we're in a new chapter this morning. We're moving forward with the plagues that uh, we started with last week. We hit the first plague. This morning, I want to just uh, uh, encourage you, if you do not have a Bible, to grab one from the seat rack in front of you. And you can just turn to page um, page 92. Page 92, if you don't have one, or if you are a guest this morning, inside of that um, that guest bag, there should be a Bible that you can open up and turn to page 92. And that should put you right where we're going to be this morning. So last week, if you were here... Um, we saw that uh, the God happy wasn't so happy after God got done with that God and, and uh, dealing with uh, the uh, water turning to blood and the worship of the Nile River. Uh, this week we're going to continue on as we, uh, as we see God continue to work on uh, the resolve of Pharaoh to let his people go. Uh, and by the way, if you don't have a handout this morning, just raise your hand. Uh, they're coming down the aisle right now, and they will get you one. And wave, raise your hand in the air, wave it like you just don't care, and uh, we'll have a we'll have a handout to you, and uh, and we'll get it to you directly. So, um, and so that'll help help you follow along a little bit this morning with our study. So it's been a it's been a good and prosperous weekend already. Uh, as we look into this as we look into this text. Uh, we saw last week that before we jump into the reading of the text that um, when everything was said and done with the water turning to blood, the river literally it stank uh, and it was a it was a nasty odor um, as the nation of uh, the nation of Israel, the nation of Egypt actually worshipped the Nile River itself. And so uh, we see that these false gods, when God's done with them, they end up stinking. We'll see the same thing this this morning as we get into Exodus chapter Eight, And uh, the thing that we'll see this morning is a command that God has for Israel to be let go. Now, this isn't the first time that he said this, but he's putting a strong emphasis on it this morning. So uh, I should have had you stay standing as we're going to read. Let's stand and read God's word together. Exodus chapter 8. This morning, we're going to look at verses 1 through 19 as we uh, consider two more plagues that uh, were uh, signs to both Israel and Egypt that God wanted his people Israel to be freed from the bondage of Egypt. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 8 and verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. And if thou refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all thy borders with frogs. And the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into thine house and into thy bedchamber, and upon thy bed, and into the house of thy servants, and upon thy people, and into thine ovens, and into thy kneading troughs. And the frogs shall come up both on thee, and upon thy people, and upon all thy servants. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go, that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. And verse 9 says, And Moses said unto Pharaoh, Glory over me, when shall I entreat uh, uh, for thee and for thy servants and for thy people to destroy the frogs from thee and thy houses, that they may remain in the river only? And he said, Tomorrow. And he said, Be it according to thy word, that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. And the frogs shall depart from thee and from thy houses and from thy servants and from thy people, and they shall remain in the river only. And Moses and Aaron went out uh, from Pharaoh, and Moses cried unto the Lord because of the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses, out of the villages, and out of the fields. And they gathered them together upon heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. 
And the Lord said unto Moses, saying to Aaron, stretch out thy rod and smite the dust of the land, that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and smote the dust of the earth and became lice in man and in beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So they were there. So there were there were lice upon man and upon beast. Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, "This is the finger of God." And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Heavenly Father, I just pray this morning as we come to your word that our hearts would not be hardened. But we're thankful for the word that has gone forth in the adult Bible fellowships this morning at nine o'clock when the E wing and is going forth even now. Lord, uh, thank you for what you're doing in the student ministry and. Uh, just pray, God, a blessing now as we gather together as one man to worship you and, and hear from your word. Lord, help us not to be like Pharaoh and have a hard heart. Help us to learn from his mistakes, Lord. And I pray, Lord, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper next week, Lord, that our hearts would be uh, sensitive to you, that they would be uh, open to any correction, instruction, reproof, or that we would um, examine ourselves and, and be ready, Lord, to just remember you as our bread of life. And, Lord, as we think about the ovens and the kneading troughs this morning, how they were so corrupted with uh, these um, reptilian um, um, plagues, Lord, these frogs, Lord, it's, it's, it's disgusting. And, Lord, we, we are so thankful, Lord, that you are our bread of life, Lord, and nothing can t- touch you and take you from us. Lord, I pray, Heavenly Father, uh, that you bless the reading and the hearing of your perfect word this morning, or that it would, it would just be glorified and glorifying to yourself and, Lord, that it would bring forth um, power and love and a sound mind in our lives. And that in all that we do, whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, Lord, you would get the honor and the glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So um, this morning we're talking about the consequences of a hard heart in the war for worship. So we've been talking about this war for worship. And really that's what's going on is there is a war for worship. Uh, Pharaoh doesn't want Egypt. Uh, the, the, he doesn't want the, the nation of Israel to leave Egypt. And worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the wilderness. And, of course, God says, I want my people to go free. And so we have a standoff, right? You know, we see Moses and Pharaoh at this standoff. And now we see, initially it looked pretty slow for Moses. Things weren't going his way. But now there's some momentum. And there's some really revealing things in in chapter 8, of which we'll get to some of them this morning. And then the next time we get together, we will finish up this chapter. But this, uh, this passage uh, is, is following what we saw last week. I gave you a list of the ten plagues in your handout. I'm not going to go through that again, but uh, this is the chart I put in your notes last week. We saw the water turned to blood as God judged the, God, uh, the Egyptian god happy. Uh, this week we're going to see uh, the frogs and the lice, uh, and then the, 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 we'll conclude at a different Sunday on the flies. But we'll see that... The, uh, the, the God of Heket, it's spelled a couple different ways. Hek is also how it's pronounced. Um, and Geb are the two gods that are going to be attacked today. The Egyptian uh, goddess of fertility is represented by the frogs. This goddess was also associated with the Nile and fertility. She was uh, adapted as well into Greek uh, mythology as a goddess of witchcraft. And so uh, there's still people who identify with this this uh, goddess and then this god this lice god the second plague that god provided um dealt with this god geb who was actually a kind of transgender bisexual it could go either way for real i'm not making this up to be funny or relevant uh that's actually historically the who this god was uh and he was supposedly um ruled the dust of the earth and, and gave pharaoh the right to his throne as the, the as the egyptians believed uh, that uh, Ra uh, and this was born from this god, from this god um, uh, Geb, and Geb was actually the one who had the rightful heir to the throne. So the pharaohs came through this divine uh, relationship between Geb and Ra, and then the first pharaohs of Egypt, uh, which basically just puts you back in Genesis six type of stuff, right? And so, so they're they're rolling with that, and uh, and so his throne. Uh, is then based on these gods that God is just systematically picking off. Right? Last week I talked about how he told them to smite the waters. He was literally smiting their god. He was hitting back at Hapite. And, uh, and of course, God uh, won that. This morning we're going to see the consequences of a hard heart. Because you would think that after 
you know, turning water to blood and all the results uh, that, that came from that, that Pharaoh might humble himself. But, of course, we know he would not and he will not because God has already called it. His heart is hard. Now, the first thing we're going to see this morning as we consider the consequences of a hard heart in this war for worship is the clear command is repeated. I find it interesting as you look at Exodus chapter 8 and verse 1 here. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go. Right? Four words. Right? And then he says, uh, and uh, That they may serve me. Right? He, he doesn't really owe him that explanation of why they need to be let go. Um, he just says, Let my people go. That's all he really needs to tell Pharaoh. But he's nice enough to say that they may serve me. Right? He wants Pharaoh to know this is about worship. This is about these people, my people, serving me. I've taken possession of these Hebrews. And, of course, the Pharaoh had also taken possession of these Hebrews because they were quite profitable, as we've looked at in previous weeks. And and so there was a struggle over who these um, uh, Israelites were going to worship because they wanted, Pharaoh wanted them to worship in Egypt so he could work them. And uh, we've already covered all of that. And so I want you to understand that this is a, is a command that's very clear. So God's command is clear. Go unto Pharaoh, right? Go ye therefore, Moses, and, and let him know that it's time for him to let my people go. Uh, God has said this already in Exodus 5, 1, Exodus chapter 7, and verse 16, and now for the third time here in Exodus 8, 1. So this is his third uh, mention, right? This is the third time. You know, you always tell your kids, I don't want to tell you more than once, right? And uh, this is the third time. Pharaoh is hearing from God directly uh, through Moses saying, hey, listen, uh, I don't want to ask you again. Uh, I'm telling you, let my people go. Uh, But he's going to say it two more times. In Exodus chapter 8, verses 20 through 21, he will do that once again. uh, And he will ask, or will not ask, he will command uh, Pharaoh to let his people go. So God doesn't waste words, uh, and he is not obligated uh, to repeat himself. What he is revealing, uh, in essence, is the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. If you were here last week and heard the conclusion of the message, I mentioned in my own personal testimony that God really gave me the gospel on multiple occasions, right? He didn't have to repeat himself. He does not have to repeat himself, right? He doesn't have to give you five or six chances to get saved. He doesn't have to give you extra opportunities. He's gracious and kind. Uh, and he may use you as an object lesson someday. But the point is this. We should respond when God calls. When God commands, we should say, sir, yes, sir, how high, right? Uh, what do you need me to do? Uh, and, of course, that's not the way it's going with Pharaoh. So point B, uh, Pharaoh's consequences are very clear. This is also very gracious of God to, to really lay out for him. These are the consequences. And God does this for a reason. In verses 2 through 4, he says here in this clear warning, If thou refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all the borders with frogs. So here's the consequences. These frogs are coming your way, Pharaoh, um, if you don't do what I say. And he says this, And the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into thine house and into thy bedchamber and upon thy bed and into thy house of thy servants and upon thy people into thy ovens and into thy kneading troughs. I mean, you can't even make any bread without frog business being in there. It's going to be nasty. And the frogs shall come upon both. I mean, you could have frog legs, I guess. But anyway, and the frogs shall come up on both on thee and upon thy people and upon thy servants. Now, this is an interesting uh, warning that God gives him. Uh, because well, we, if you remember last week, and, and you may have slept since then, in Exodus chapter 7 and verse 23, uh, I mentioned last week how Pharaoh, when all this was going down, his people were, I mean, they're, they're thirsty. Remember how we talked about how this, this water turned instantly to blood? There was probably people working, you know, needing a drink of water, and suddenly the water turns into blood. You can just imagine that. Well, what happened to Pharaoh? Well, all this is going down, and he just goes back to his house, right? So they dig wells, and, and they end up finding water in the, in the, in the fountains and the wells, but they, they couldn't get water from any of the streams, the rivers, the ponds, any of that. It's all turned to blood. So you know, you know, you know what Pharaoh's doing in his palace. He's the first one to get that water that comes out of a well, right? So, so it affects everybody else, but you know, he's doing okay. He's got his water. He's got his magicians. They're turning water to blood. So I, he's, he's covering 
his inadequacies and he's hiding in his house and uh, in his palace and he's he's hanging out there. And in verse 23 of chapter 7, that's the last place we see him is, is, is in the house. It says, and Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither did he set his heart to this also. Basically, he just blew off all this activity that was going on. It seemed unbelievable that all this could be going on. And this guy is just like a leader that is totally like, hey, whatever, man. We got this. My God's bigger than your God's. And, uh, and I'm Pharaoh, so get off me, right? That's in kind of his attitude. So God sends another warning, as we just read, and we, and we know uh, that Pharaoh is in a situation here where uh, the last plague, he was able to sit it out in his house. So God says, well, hey, let me send you some more information. Let me, uh, hey, Moses, when you talk to, to Pharaoh, just remind him now that this time it's coming to his house. It's the first thing he says. These frogs are coming to your house, pal. Oh, oh no, 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 they're not just coming to your house. Uh, this fertility, God, this fertility God, you're going to have him all over your bed, right? You ain't going to be able to lay down in bed without frogs on you. How's that? You know, for a romantic interlude. No, they ain't going to happen. You got frogs in your house. You got frogs in your bed chamber. And then he really specifically says, and upon thy bed. You want to worship this fertility God? I'm going to put this fertility God right there in your bed with you, Pharaoh. How's about that? You're not going to be able to run to your house and get away from this one. You ain't even going to be able to lay down at night. You are going to be completely uh, covered in frogs. And so he's very specific about this. I found that interesting. I'd never seen that before until I was studying this. Your house, your bedchamber, your bed. And, of course, um, that's meaningful for Pharaoh because he is going to have to actually deal with this second plague very personally. And, of course, he mentions... It's going to be on the house of his servants and his people. And, and while he's at it, it's in your ovens and in your kneading troughs. It's going to affect your food supply. It's going to affect your economy. It's going to affect everything once again. And, uh, and it's going to impact everybody in your kingdom. Everyone in your kingdom, Pharaoh, is going to know that you have no power. That Moses is the man. You know, that's got to eat Pharaoh up. Because he is full of pride. So Pharaoh retreated to his home. And this sign then impacts Pharaoh's home, his bedchamber, and all of these things that were mentioned. And at this time, there's, there's no place for him to run. It will invade every aspect of his life. So the frog-faced goddess. Let's talk a little bit more about this frog-faced goddess. Um, I didn't have a picture for you this morning, but um, I, I think I put one up in the introductory uh, slide. But uh, you've probably seen him before. You can look it up, this, this uh, goddess, Hecate or Hecate. Uh, was the goddess that was was taking aim, um, or that God was taking aim at. And so um, there's no way that Pharaoh nor the magicians would have missed uh, the message that God was sending to uh, them through this this God. So um, so this we see in Exodus 8-2 that the first mention of the frogs in Scripture uh, is found. So this, this, this uh, passage right here that we see in verse 2, um, when he mentions frogs at the end of verse 2, that's the first time ever in the Bible that you will find the word frogs mentioned. And that's an interesting study because uh, they're, they're not in the Bible as much as you might think. <clears throat> uh, there are uh, 14 mentions in the Scripture. <clears throat> Eleven are found here in Exodus 8. So most of them, the majority, are found right here in in uh, this uh, in this chapter, <clears throat> excuse me. Two of the other mentions in the Old Testament are found in Psalm seventy-one forty-five and Psalms one hundred five and verse thirty, and they're recounting these very this very incident uh, here in the book of Exodus. And so, it's interesting uh, that when you get to the last mention of the word frogs in the Bible, <clears throat> excuse me, um, they, it is found in Revelation chapter sixteen. And verse 13, I put that on the screen. And the Lord here is speaking of the, the Antichrist, the beast, uh, or the beast, the false prophet, and the, um, um, uh, the dragon. He says in verse 13, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs, like frogs, come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. So in days yet to come, the Antichrist is going to be, and well, the, the dragon, Satan, <clears throat> the, the Antichrist and the false prophet, <coughs> excuse me, are going to be noted as having spirits um, 
that are, are likened to frogs. When God looks at that, he sees them as frogs. He's unclean beasts. Mentioned 11 times in Exodus, 14 times total in the Bible, and um, 12 and 13 are actually in reference to what we see in Exodus chapter 8. So it's completely dealing with a man of sin and pride and Satan. And so there's a reason this, that, that God took aim at this, this God. <clears throat> because it means, excuse me, it means so much uh, to the Egyptians and, and frankly, to paganism even to this day. So biblically, God likens the unclean spirits uh, to um, those that proceed from this, the false prophet, the dragon, the beast. Uh, all of them are frogs. And so these wicked forces that existed in the day of Moses, beloved, they still exist today. Right, those same wicked spirits, and uh, and God will deal with them just as He dealt with them in the time of Exodus. And of course, just kind of this isn't in my notes, but just a kind of aside. When you study prophecy, of course, one of the two witnesses I believe very strongly is Moses. Right, he's one of the two witnesses who will actually have an opportunity uh, to stand off against the Antichrist. So, point C: God's judgment is is so swift. Here, we see that His judgment is swift in verses five and six. It doesn't tarry. He doesn't wait around. It says. Uh, if you if you got an Oxford uh, wide margin, it's got a paragraph mark there. And the Lord spake unto Moses, say unto Aaron, stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause the frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. So here he doesn't smite the waters. He just holds his hand out with his rod over the waters, and the, and the frogs come out. And so we saw the first time he smote it, uh, he saw it, we'll see, we read that the lice, he smites the ground. Here he just holds his rod out as a symbol of authority, and the creatures just start coming out. Now, obviously, there aren't that many frogs in, the, in all the rivers of Egypt and in, in the Nile or anywhere else. I mean, God is multiplying these things supernaturally from all across the borders of Egypt, and it is an incredible thing, and it happens so rapidly. Uh, and so God is not waiting around for a dialogue with Pharaoh. He doesn't need uh, diplomatic uh, exchanges going back and forth. He doesn't care about what Pharaoh thinks about this. He's told him, look, I'm asking you, or I'm not asking you, I'm commanding you, let my people go that they worship me. And that's it. And this is the consequence. So we're not, we're not given an exact timeline, but the number of frogs was miraculously multiplied. And you know what? God has the ability to mar- miraculously multiply, doesn't he? Man, it's my prayer what, you know, he was doing to, to curse, uh, you know, that's how the world sees us oftentimes when we multiply uh, miraculously. Right now, there's places like in Asia, India is one of the places I'm thinking of because I know people there where there is oppression to hold people, God's people down. But that's always the miracle grow of growth, man. God ends up multiplying and, uh, and the world hates uh, biblical reproduction, but God loves it. That's his mission. Be, go ye therefore and be fruitful. Multiply. Replenish the earth. That's been his mission since Genesis. As disciple makers, that's what we do. We lead people to Christ, bring them in the kingdom of God, spiritually reproduce fruit. But you know what it seems oftentimes to those with a hard heart and positions of power that may see themselves as the elite power, maybe some uh, Gnostic knowledge, some deep knowledge that the rest of us uh, average people don't have. They, they see that as a, as a plague upon the earth because of the multiplication uh, but not a plague at all when it comes to the gospel not at all but when pharaoh won't cooperate god says listen I'm, you want to worship this god you're going to have him in your bed you're going to have him in your bed chamber you're going to have him in your in your kneading troughs you're going to have him everywhere you cannot stop me so the consequences of a hard heart in this war for worship is is important. And when we hear a clear command from God repeated, you know what we need to do? So we're not like Pharaoh, what should we do? We should listen, right? When God tells us something, a clear command, don't be like Pharaoh. Listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. Because he gives a clear warning. The second thing we see is, a, is a Pharaoh's foolish attempt to counterfeit God's power. Is, is he's done this again for a second time, so it's repeated he has a foolish attempt to counterfeit God's power, uh, and it's repeated. So in Exodus 8 and verse 7, the magicians did so 
with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. Now, you think about that, and you're like, what is he proving? <laughs> you got frog on top of frog, and you're going to add some more to it? It doesn't even make any sense. Uh, now, I will say, uh, this is the, uh, the last miracle uh, that the magicians will match, right? It's the third miracle, right? It's the second plague, but it's the third miracle. We saw them let, let throw the serpents down, right, as they were going. Uh, that really wasn't for the whole nation. That was more of a diplomatic exchange about, you know, who was, who was gonna, uh, who was gonna be in charge with Moses and Pharaoh. And you remember, uh, Aaron's rod swallowed up, um, the, the, the rod of those magicians. And then you saw, uh, of course, the water turned to blood. And, and here, the magicians were able to replicate that as well. Uh, it seems incredible. And then now, once again, they can turn, uh, they can, they can produce frogs that multiply, or at least feign that they do. Um, I don't know how you would know if they did or not, actually, because, I mean, there's frogs everywhere. But at any rate, um, whatever, uh, there was no benefit in adding frogs. There was just there, there was nothing benefiting them to adding to the plagues that God was bringing on them in judgment. It just shows you how foolish uh, Pharaoh was because he would not bow his knee to the Lord. The one thing they could not do, however, in any case, is reverse the curse, right? Reverse the effect of God's power, whether it was swallowing up the, the, the snake, right, the, with the rods, whether it was the blood turning to water, or in this case, they could not stop what God had started because they did not have that power. It was in God's hand. So Satan, he likes to counterfeit God's power, but he is powerless, frankly, to stop it. I think Christians need to get a hold of that. I mean, we really need to, to get it. We need to be aware that God really is unstoppable. You know, Andy Minio had that, that lyric, you can't stop me, right? And you really can't stop God. You can stop Andy Minio, but you can't stop God. God is going to get done what he wants to get done. And so Satan, he, he wants to counterfeit that. He's no fool. You've heard the saying in the world, right? If you can't beat him, join him. So why is Pharaoh wanting to emulate all these miracles? Well, because he's wanting everybody to think. He's opposed, I mean, he's a poser is what he is. He's wanting everybody to think. Well, I can match I can match up with Moses' God, but you know Pharaoh in his heart knows I'm in deep trouble. Especially once we get to that 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 plague of lice that we saw here in just a minute. We'll conclude with that. So uh, just just as a way of remembrance, in Second Corinthians chapter eleven and verse thirteen, in the New Testament, Satan he you know what he couldn't do in the in the first century? As the apostles were moving out according to God's will, uh, he could not stop them. The gospel is going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, this is what the apostle Paul said. He says, for uh, such are false apostles, deceitful workers. What do they do? They transform themselves into apostles of Christ. Yeah, that's right. There are people that look like preachers. They look like uh, people who are representing God. But really, Paul said in the first century, right off the bat, they were deceitful workers. They were false Prophets. They were saying things, um, trying to transform themselves into uh, apostles of Christ. Now, we know how to transform because we're told how in Romans chapter 12, right? We let this mind be in us, which was in Christ Jesus, right? And so um, we, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. What transforms us is obedience to the word of God. But these are disobedient people. They don't really want to submit to the word of God. They just want to oppose. They want to act like they are um, those that represent God. He says, don't marvel. Don't freak out. Right? No marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed into ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. He's like, don't, don't be shocked. When Satan has false apostles, right, false prophets, false preachers, it happens all the time. Satan has uh, counterfeit preachers, even in the Old Testament in the type. In First Kings chapter 13, <coughs> there's a, a godly man, a godly um, <clears throat> man of God that's mentioned. His name's not given, but I won't tell you the whole story for time's sake. But uh, he is being used of God to, to deliver his word and and this, this, this prophet, prophet hears about it, and he's moved, but not sincerely out of obedience. He's moved to deceive the man of God. And so um, he tells him a lie. God's, 
directly tells this man of God, he's like, hey, I need you to go from here to there, but do not stop, do not eat, do not go in anyone's house. So this prophet, you know what he does? He's a false prophet. He shows up and he's like, hey, he's an old prophet. He's like, hey, uh, God told me. And he presumed to speak for God. You need to come on in my house. And the the man of God's like, no, God didn't tell you that. He's like, oh, no, no, he did. I'm a prophet. And he was a prophet. He was just a deceitful worker. And he gets him to turn into his house and eat. And then God smites that. He kills that guy. He kills that, that man of God. By the way, there's a premium on those of us who say we're men and women of God to obey the word of God. That's the moral of that story. We should not be beguiled. We should not be hoodwinked. We should not be led uh, to the left hand or the right by a false prophet. Why? Because we have, we have the words of God. We have them. And so, 1 Kings thirteen eighteen, he said unto him, this is what the false prophet said, I'm a prophet also, as thou art. And the angel spake unto to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with me into thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But what's it say? He lied. He lied unto him. Now, he didn't lie about being a prophet. He lied about what God said. When someone gets up and pre- presumes to speak for God, but they don't represent this book, beloved, I'm telling you, don't listen. Don't listen. Go the other direction. That old prophet and his sons deceived the man of God, and they lied to him. And, of course, he paid with his life. So Satan has counterfeit church as well. Did you know that? It's a warning to us in Revelation 2, uh, verse 9, and Revelation 3 and verse 9. Nine's the number of fruit bearing, incidentally. And in both, both of those places, there is a, a, a synagogue. It's not the word church, but it's a synagogue, which, by, by the way, the way we do church, our, the way we assemble, is based on how the, old, uh, the Jews did the synagogues. They read the word of God. They prayed, worshiped. Uh, the word was sinner. Revelation 2, 9, the Bible says, I know thy works and thy tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Again, he says in Revelation 3, 9, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they're Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Who is he speaking to here? He's speaking to the, the church. Right? There's a false church, too. There are people that, that will say that they represent Christ, that they are interceding for him, that they are priests. They'll even say, call me father. But the Bible says, call no man father. Now, I'm not talking about your earthly father. But you don't honor someone as a spiritual father. I mean, there's only one father in heaven. And there's only one son. Even though we're sons of God, there's the son of God, Jesus Christ. So uh, be careful. There's a synagogue of Satan, uh, and you've got to be careful of that bad doctrine, that bad teaching, the lies that come out of that. So what we're really dealing with here in this war for worship is we have, we have Moses representing, as I talked about last week, right? In the white corner, you have Moses representing the one true God. But in the black corner, man, you've you got, you got, you got Pharaoh representing some wicked, false lying religious deities that, by the way, are still around to this day. It's crazy. If you go look this stuff up, on, there's still people worshiping these deities. It's crazy. Satan has a, a counterfeit Bible as well, by the way. It's always cast doubt on what God says and calls you to trust in scholarship instead of Scripture. It makes the arbitrator of what is true, um, not the Holy Spirit, and what the Word of God says, but it is always defaults to the scholars say this. And when you dig into it, it's oftentimes a lie. Every good lie, though, has some truth, doesn't it? And I tell you what, just like we saw in, in Kings, that prophet was a prophet. So he wasn't lying when he says he's a prophet. He was just lying about what God said. And so it's important, that, especially as the days go forward, beloved, I would really encourage you to strongly check your King James Bible against everything you hear. Because with AI and all of these things, there's going to be so many convincing things. If you're not talking to someone directly face-to-face and looking in the Word of God, you're not going to know what's true and not, what's not. So make sure that you have an absolute standard. Genesis 3, 1 says, Now that the, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. 
Well, he didn't actually say that. He just, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat thereof. And so God's word is, is written to show us the certainty of truth, not to cast doubt upon what God has said and what God has gave us, gave, given us in his word. This word, the word of God is here to protect us. But we have to have a right attitude toward it. In Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 20, the Bible says, Have not I written to thee excellent things in counsels and knowledge, that I might make thee to know the certainty of the words of truth? You need to concern yourself. I need to concern myself with knowing the words of truth, which, by the way, that is, that is actually not a really cool thing to do today. Today, everything is uncertain. You can't know anything. You can't know your gender. You can't know what's up. You can't know what's down. You can't know what's right. You can't know what's left. Well, that's all intentional because that's where Satan needs the world to be going. But not for people who know God. There is right. There is wrong. There is good. There is evil. Uh, the Bible lays us out, lays it out, and it gives you the framework for what is truth and what is error. That's why the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. In any society anywhere in the world, you should be able to find believers gathering around this book. And you know what you should find there? People that are grounded and standing vertically for the truth. Steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because they know where the truth is. They're not confused. They're not, they're not beguiled. They're not off to the left or the right. They know where to find the truth. The reality is that God has given us the certainty, the certainty... Of the words of truth. Whew, isn't that nice to have something that's certain? To know that you have truth? Man, I, I'm thankful for that. Uh, that's, the, that's the last stop for the magicians. Because they will be useless to Pharaoh from this point forward. Their influences on, on, on uh, this, this particular engagement with God and Moses and Aaron is over. That's the last hurrah. They made some frogs. Woohoo! And now they have a bunch more plagues to get through, you know, seven more. So they're in trouble. So the consequences of a hard heart in the war for worship, it's important to follow God's clear command, right? When he repeats himself, you know, you need to pay attention the first time, if at all possible. But also, a foolish, uh, it's a foolish attempt to counterfeit God's um, power, right? Don't, don't try to do that, especially repeatedly. It's going to be futile. And the last thing we see here regarding this particular plague is a clear defeat, is conceded by Pharaoh. Uh, that's a, it's interesting how this goes down. In verse 8 it says, And Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let thy people go that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. Now, <laughs> we, he's not going to honor that as we read, but you know Moses doesn't worry about that. He just takes Pharaoh at his word. And he becomes a priest for the Egyptians here. Pharaoh acknowledges by virtue of asking Moses and Aaron for intercession that, he, that he's powerless to stop this invasion of frogs upon the land of Egypt. And he accompanies his request to uh, repeal the plague with the lie that he will let God's people go. He says, you know what he does? He says, what, like, a, like a lot of politicians, I wouldn't say every politician, but like a lot of politicians, he says what's convenient for the moment. Very pragmatic. And then because he's a God, he can change his mind. So he thinks. And so Moses responds to Pharaoh's, uh, Pharaoh's request. And I believe he's exceedingly gracious in verse 9. Moses said unto Pharaoh, glory over me. This is a strange little phrase. Glory over me. When shall I entreat for thee? Uh, yeah, when shall I entreat for thee and thy servants and for thy people to destroy the frogs from thee and thy houses uh, that they may remain in the river only? So what's he saying there? Glory over me. He's saying, he's actually giving honor to Pharaoh. He's like, uh, by all means, I will honor you. I want you, I want to honor you. You want you, I want you to have glory over me. And I'm like, wow, I'm reading this and I'm, that phrase just caught me. I've never really seen that in the Bible like that. Glory over me. I'm like, what's he saying there? He's, he's saying, hey, Pharaoh, um, I want to give you deference here. What time would you like these frogs to leave? <laughs> I'm going to be polite. You know, what, what, what hour would do you want them to leave? And I'll be happy to be specific in my prayers. 
That's really what he's saying. What time? Just tell me. Now, what's interesting to me is Pharaoh's response. Um, well, tomorrow. <laughs> I'm like, well, tomorrow? Like, you're not going to go to sleep tonight, pal. What do you mean tomorrow? You're going to, you got these things in your bed and your oven and, I mean, you got them everywhere. What, and you're needing, what do you want to do? You got them in your kneading trough? Why would you wait till tomorrow? I don't know, but in essence, Moses is saying, you know, you're a Pharaoh and I acknowledge your authority. You know, what time do you want this thing to be rescinded? Give him a little power over this thing. Opportunity. And, and it is kind of probably a little bit of a poke in the eye, but at the end of the day, it's still gracious. I was just reading about Appomattox and uh, how that went down with Grant and Lee. Of course, there's a lot of perspectives on it. And there's a lot of revisionist history. But I can tell you this. At the end of the day, it was gracious, for sure. Um, you know, and, and so uh, very diplomatic. And so, in, in essence, uh, Moses is saying, hey, listen, I will, I will submit to your authority as far as I, I can. Right? You say you'll let our people go? Well, you know what? I will give you the liberty to, to decide what time we'll let this plague go. What time do you want it to leave? And so Moses' meekness is on display. Moses is noted, right? His natural strength was not abated. If you read about Moses, he was actually physically strong and was strong until the day he died. Like he's just this freak of nature, super strong dude. Uh, like Jack LaLanne used to be, right? You know, if you guys know who that is, probably don't. But anyway, uh, he's just this strong guy, even into his, his older years. And But the Bible says about him, uh, the, one of the things about Moses, it says in Numbers 12, 3, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which are upon the face of the earth. Isn't that interesting? So God brings the, probably, I would, I would guess that Pharaoh's probably one of the proudest fellows on the planet. At that time, maybe not, maybe the proudest. And so who does God bring up to deal with him? The meekest on the earth. Now, meekness is not weakness. A lot of people think of meekness like some just little like pansy, you know, that isn't that's not weakness or that's not uh, it's meekness isn't weakness. What meekness is, is a guy like, uh, you know, Moses. He was a military general. He still had his natural strength. We know he can kill a man. Right. And this guy is is no joke. And yet, you know what he does? He's like, hey, with all with all due respect, since you're willing to let our people go, what time would you like me to let them go? He And he's meek. He's power. under. He's not on a trip, a power trip. He's got all that power, but it's it's under control. It's throttled. You know, and that's what happens to us Christians when we walk in the spirit. We don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Why? Because you got all this power, right? The Holy Ghost is our power. Jesus told his disciples, you know what? I'm going to ascend, and you will have power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. What is the key to the Christian life? It's walking in the Spirit, in the power of God. That's how you have meekness. That doesn't mean you go around, you know, flexing your muscles on everybody. Do you know who I am? You know, you always see politicians, they get pulled over, you know, they get out of the car. Do you know who I am? And the officer's usually like, uh, I don't really care. Take your breathalyzer, you know, a good officer. But at any rate, Moses isn't like that. He's a meek man. He's got power under control. It's worth noting that Moses reverses the order of priority in his intercession. I found that interesting as well. God afflicted Pharaoh, his house, his bedchamber, his bed, his servants, his people. But when Moses entreated the Lord, he entreated for his servants first, his people then for Pharaoh's house and houses, right? He wasn't as concerned about Pharaoh's bedchamber or his bed or his house as he was starting with the servants and the people of the nation of Israel. These were people that Pharaoh or that Moses knew. These were people that, that one time he was a prince over. It was also worth noting that the rivers were fully restored ecologically as they were suitable now to maintain the, the life of those frogs. So, man, this ecological disaster that God brought with the, with the blood, it's cleared up, and the frogs are back in there. Man, I wish people would get a clue on that. Who heals the waters? God does. Who heals the planet? God does. Who controls the ecosystem? God does. Now, we should be good stewards and all of that, for sure. Uh, but God's the one who controls all of that. Pharaoh chooses one more night with the frogs. Unbelievable decision in verse 10. 
He says, tomorrow, tomorrow, and it, let it be according to thy word that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. So tomorrow it will be, Pharaoh, uh, have a good night, <laughs> right? Uh, strange response from Pharaoh, in my opinion. Uh, why endure that? I don't really know. But perhaps, this is just a thought I had, maybe it was to claim that his magician, maybe he put out a, a press release the next morning that his magicians got those frogs out of Egypt. I don't know. I wouldn't put it past him. We're not told that, though, if he did it. And it's not recorded in the scripture. But whatever his moves were, I'm sure he had some. But what's interesting to know is it didn't bother Moses. It didn't bother Aaron. Because when God's on your side, it doesn't matter. There's, there, there are many who miss the opportunity to receive salvation. You know why? Because they put it off to tomorrow. You know, there are times when, that's why when we give the altar call, we'll like be like, man, I'm like, now, if, if God's working in your heart, get saved today. Because today is the day of salvation. I'm not just saying that. There are moments in time when you need to respond to God's call. The, to, the call of salvation is something that is to be obeyed. And not just kick down till tomorrow. Well, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. You know what will happen? Your heart will get hard, and you may not see tomorrow. Don't sleep with the frogs, man. Don't do it. That's a filthy spirit telling you to put that off till tomorrow. But God's good for his word. Verses eight, uh, chapter 8, verses 11 through 13. And the frogs shall depart from thee and thy house and from thy servants and from thy people. They shall remain in the river only. And Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh. And Moses cried unto the Lord because of the frogs which he had brought up against Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses, not Pharaoh. And the frogs died out of the houses, out of the villages, and out of the fields. So Moses was now a priest in Egypt. He's interceding for Pharaoh, doing the priestly work, which is what he should be. He's a Levite, right? We know that he and Aaron are brothers, and, and so he's now doing the priestly work for, for, uh, for Pharaoh. Man, if Pharaoh would have just bowed his knee, he would have had an, he would have had an opportunity to be grafted in to what God was doing with Israel. He would have had grace from God. But the consequences of disobedience, this is what really happens, is they stink. When you look at verse 14, they gathered them uh, together upon the heap. The, they were talking about the frogs, and the land stank. I mean, the, the plague's over, but you're left with the consequences, man. It stinks. When we don't obey God, when we try to, 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 to fake it till we make it, what happens is, you know, God can give you a respite, but the, it stinks. Pharaoh's not happy. He's, he's, not, he's not satisfied because this is not what he wants. He doesn't want the water stinking with the dead fish. He doesn't want the frogs stinking. Well, that's what happens when you don't obey the Lord. Your life starts to stink. He's stinking up the place, man. One of the reasons that we wash ourselves, why do we come on here, here on Sundays and, <coughs> and get in the Word daily? Is to wash ourselves in the water of the Word. Because we know that in our flesh we'll have no good thing and we'll start to stink. Spiritually speaking, if we don't get into the word of God. And so Proverbs 6 says this in verse 32. But whosoever committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get and his reproach shall not be wiped away. You know, we can be forgiven and we can even be freed from sin. But some sins they have a residue, right? They have a stigma to them. Pharaoh was attempting to steal God's glory and God's people. Right? He was like trying to take his beloved child, his son Israel, from him and take him to himself. And God isn't just taking that lightly. You know the judgment that's going to come upon the, the, the devil and his angels? Man, I tell you what, it, it, God is not going to take that lightly, what he's trying to do to the bride of Christ. God is patient, and he is he, he has decided to use him as a vessel of dishonor since he refused to be a vessel of honor. So instead of utilizing the respite for repentance, we see in verse 15 that Pharaoh saw that there was a respite. Oh, God's letting off a little bit, and he hardened his heart, right? He, and he hearkened not unto the Lord, as he said. So uh, it didn't catch the, this didn't catch God off guard. He knew Pharaoh would do this. He already called it. But notice in this occurrence, God is not hardening Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh is doing this himself. He's hardening his own heart. Why? Because he saw a little bit of a bit, little respite. 
Just a little bit of God letting up. He's like, oh. And he went right back after it. Consequences of a, of a hard heart. Number one, we've got to remember to make sure that we don't forsake God's commands. We need to make sure that we don't have a foolish attempt to counterfeit God's uh, power, you know, especially repeatedly. That's crazy. And we need to have, we need to, when we uh, concede, we need to do it humbly. And we need to be sincere. We don't need to have a repentance that needs to be repented of, right? That's what you're seeing here with Pharaoh. His repentance needs to be repented of. That is not what God's looking for. What is God looking for? Well, I'm glad you asked. He's looking for a contrite heart. The last thing I want you to see, and we'll be done, is, is a clear warning is revealed in this next plague. It's only a couple of verses. But he says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch forth thy rod and smite the dust of the land, and it shall become lice through all the land of Egypt. And, and, <clears throat> and they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and smote the dust of the earth. Now we're back to smiting. God's punching again. He sends Aaron out and says, lift up that rod. Those frogs just come out. He's going to prove a point now. He's like, okay, let's start punching. Punch down here. Let's smite the ground. We're going to go a little lower. We're going to smite the earth with that rod, Aaron. And he smote the dust of the earth and became lice in man and in beast. And all the dust of the land became lice throughout the land of Egypt. So we see here, point A, judgment without a warning comes to Pharaoh and Egypt. Judgment without a warning. Like if judgment comes upon the USA, well, if, what am I saying? Right, I know, it's here. But anyway, if greater judgment came upon the USA, let's say, would it be like a shock to anybody? No, we got plenty of warnings. It's like red flags waving everywhere. Everyone can see it, right? So we get that. But here we think this guy is so proud, he doesn't see what's coming. I mean, he sees that he arrests, but he starts to harden his heart. God doesn't warn him what's coming next. He goes ahead and just gives him a rib shot. Bam! And wakes him up. Hey, I'm still here, pal. Now there's lice everywhere. I didn't even give you a warning. You're going to diss me like this? Well, here you go. Have a little lice all over you and all your animals. This third plague comes out of nowhere without any warning. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 29, 1, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. I mean, there are people who just harden their heart, harden their heart, harden their heart. And then we talk about it when we take the Lord's Supper, right, in in Corinthians. There are some people who sleep. God just takes them out and says, you're done. Now, God didn't do that with Pharaoh yet. He's heading there. But he's hardening his heart. So God just gives him a little, you know, shot to the ribs. That one guy got knocked in the ribs, I guess, this weekend, and he was done. Got a liver shot, took him out. God's giving him a warning here. The warning is the judgment itself. He doesn't tell him in advance, this is what's going to happen. He just says, oh, here's some of this. It's the first plague that comes without a warning, but it won't be the last. It's going to happen again in Exodus 9, 8 through 12 with the boils, and once again with the thick darkness just before the Passover. So many mistake God's meekness, his power for weakness. But Pharaoh is about to feel the power of God as he and the rest of, the, of Egypt and their animals battle this microbial attack. Ugh. Notice the hand is, is smiting the dust, as I mentioned. And this is a direct attack on the god Geb, the bisexual god that Pharaoh inherited his throne from. Geb was believed to be the direct descendant of the creator of the earth and the father of Pharaoh. Uh, really the father of Ra, who is also the father of Pharaoh. So the very throne that Pharaoh sat on uh, it was inherited from Geb. It was like the throne. His, 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 his uh, place of authority came from this God. And God is saying, hey, man, I'm taking your authority out. You called me the Lord? Guess who I am? I am the Lord. And that's who I am. Uh, and so <clears throat> the belief of the Egyptians is that uh, Geb laid an, an egg. Can't make this stuff up. And that is where the sun god, Ra, came from. And, uh, and Ra was born. He came from, a, from an egg. You wonder where you get your Easter egg traditions. It's significant as, as also the phoenix, if you guys know about how the phoenix rises out of the dust, uh, they also uh, attribute this egg to that. So you'll see Geb oftentimes with a big falcon on his head. 
And so next time you're looking at some of these Egyptian gods, and you, you'll kind of know where some of that comes from. It is God who formed man from the dust, not Geb. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. It wasn't some uh, pagan deity spinning man out on a, on a, on a wheel, on a, um, a potter's wheel, which is what the, the Egyptians believed in, in stewarding uh, their souls. No, that is God's business. And God was letting Pharaoh know that. Second thing you see here is judgment was without replication. In Exodus 8.18, we see here the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there was, there was lice upon man and upon beast, and they just couldn't stop it. There were limits to the magician's power in this third plague. Satan can manipulate organic matter, but he cannot quicken non-organic materials. He can't do it. He's trying, but it isn't possible. That is solely the power of God. In Genesis 2.18, that's by the way, you got to be careful once they move your data storage to organic materials. That is probably something you need to be careful of. But anyway, um, in Genesis 2.18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. God is the one who has power. Over organic materials. God quickened man and he brought into his nostrils the breath of life. And you know what? God is the one who puts marriages together. He's the one who brings man and woman together. He's the one who stewards the womb. When you pray for fruit, you don't ask Geb for fruit. They did in Egypt. We ask the Lord Jesus Christ. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Here God shows his power by turning dust into lice. And every Egyptian and their animals were impacted. They knew it. And judgment... Now is without a doubt. In verse 19, the Bible says, Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. This is the finger of God. And so Pharaoh was just smitten in his heart, and his his resources ran out, and he bowed down on his knees, and he said, God, forgive us, for we have sinned. No, that's not what he did. No, that's not how it goes. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. The magicians knew this was the finger of God. The phrase finger of God is only mentioned four times in the scripture. Two of them are right here in Exodus 8. You just saw the first one. The second one is Exodus 8, 19. And there's another one in Luke eleven twenty. And they all deal with God manifesting the power of his spirit. Just as he quickened Adam from the dust of the ground, he quickened lice from the dust of the earth as a judgment. In Luke eleven twenty, it was with the finger of God that the Holy Spirit of God cast out devils in exodus thirty-one eighteen, and deuteronomy nine ten, the scripture tells us that god wrote the word right the, the 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 law with his finger the finger of god we also are reminded from daniel 5 and verse 5 that god's fingers wrote on the wall to the king in the palace right belshazzar meeny meeny tekel up uh, a parson god hath numbered the kingdom and finished it though uh, thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. God wrote that on the wall so he could understand that. We're reminded that in John 8, 7, as Jesus knelt in the dust of the ground and he wrote scripture on the ground, right? The conviction of the Holy Spirit came upon uh, those that had taken this one in adultery, this woman. And Jesus was writing scripture. We can all surmise what he was writing. He says, hey, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And they all walked away. Because the Spirit of God was working through the writing of his finger. The finger of God is what they say. Hey, the finger, this is the finger of God, Pharaoh. God is, God is telling us a message. We need to listen to what he's saying. <laughs> we can't duplicate this. <laughs> no one but Pharaoh could have missed the message. That God was sending. The finger of God is associated with the spirit of God. And I believe the magicians could see that. God was taking it easy on them as it was not the hand of God. You, know, you want the good hand of God upon you. But you don't want, the, you don't want to be smitten with the hand of God. You just, they're dealing with the finger of God right now. In the scripture we see that, that God warned Belshazzar as I mentioned earlier with the fingers writing on the wall. When we recognize God's finger it is a warning to us of our own sin and subsequent judgment, we are wise to take heed of God's warning and repent. 
God gave the law of Moses, but Israel took his words lightly. He wrote it with his finger, and they went into captivity. God has given us ordinances, but if we take them lightly, beloved, we will feel the effect. We, and God, now don't get me wrong, I'm all about grace, and God is gracious. But when he tells us something, we should do it. Right? When he commands us to love, when he commands us to forgive, when he commands us to be gracious and kind, guess what we should do? We should do it. And we should fear him above all else. So we come to the Lord's table next week, and, and we need to reflect on the reconciliation that God has called us to this week and every day of our lives. And if we really take the Lord's uh, word seriously, or have we hardened our heart? Beloved, I've been at this a long time, and I, I, I've, I'm sad to say there's times I've hardened my heart, right? It just becomes information and not transformation. When you open up that Bible Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, and you're in your kitchen table or wherever you read your Bible, you're in the car before you go into the job or whatever, man, don't just let it just, you know, become old hat. And think about what God is saying to you. I do like the phrase, read the Bible till it reads you. Get the command of the Lord and and apply it. I was reading in Judges this week, man, and God spoke to me. I mean, this message lines up good because... He spoke to me, and I'm like, man, Lord, I'm hearing what you're saying. I don't want to be like Pharaoh. You read Judges, you're going to get convicted because we live in a time just like that. When God convicts you, thank him for it. Thank you, Lord, for revealing this to me. Thank you, Lord, for being a good God. Thank you, Lord, for cleaning me up. Thank you, Lord, for keeping my foot from slipping. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. How liberating it must have been for those magicians to say, you know what? There's nothing else we can do, Pharaoh. This is the finger of God. We're done. We're out. Have my rod. I'm checking out. They called it correctly. It was the finger of God. Listen to me, beloved. If we don't pay attention to the message written in God's, with God's finger, it doesn't matter if you're a king. It doesn't matter if you're a tycoon. It doesn't matter if you're a janitor. It doesn't matter who you are or where you live. Doesn't matter what color you are, doesn't matter. Eventually, you'll face the hand of God. Today is the day to, to, to face the good hand of God. Jesus Christ is the right hand of the Father. And you know what He wants us to do? He wants us to come to Him, and He wants us to bow and confess Him as Lord and Savior. Many of you right now, you know, that's the testimony you have. You've come to that place in your life somewhere along the way where you recognize Jesus Christ is Lord, and you quit fighting Him, and you bow down, and you said, Jesus, Forgive me of my sin. Come to my heart. Save me. And then our battle is to daily just recognize his authority over us and to serve him as Moses and Aaron serve the Lord. And go where he tells us to go. Say what he tells us to say. Be as meek as he tells us to be. Right? Just do what he tells us to do. Be obedient and loving. But then there's some others that perhaps have heard the gospel or they've heard the word and they've hardened their heart. And they get harder and they get harder and they get harder and... Man, God wants to, he wants to take Jesus and be the right hand of, of, of salvation to you. He wants to be the hand that reaches, that is not short, that it cannot save. However, however, I just want you to know, if you don't pay attention to the finger of God, you don't listen to what the Bible says that's been written with God's finger, Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of God, and he will one day return in his righteousness to establish God's kingdom on earth. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Pharaoh would not acknowledge, even though he verbalized it, he didn't acknowledge that in his heart, and it continued to harden. But you know what? You don't have to continue to harden your heart. You have an opportunity. You don't have to be foolish like Pharaoh. You can listen to God's clear commandment and you can repent. You don't have to try to fake it to make it. You don't have to try to replicate anything. You don't have to, you you can just concede that God is who he says he is and and with a, a, a sincere heart receive the goodness of God because the consequences of hardening our heart is an even harder heart. Beloved, we need to, to, to take heed to the admonition to deal with our heart as we approach the Lord's Supper next week, the Bible tells us in Psalm 34:18, this is what God is asking for. The Lord is nigh. He's near unto them 
that have a broken heart. And save us such that we have a contrite spirit. You know, there are some that say, man, I, you don't have to tell me I'm a sinner. They're already broken up over it. They're already disappointed. They're already hurting. They're not that proud. You know what they need? They need to know that God loves them. And that God sent Jesus to die for them. There's a lot of people like that today. They're ready to hear the gospel. You know what? We've got to go send it to them. We're the people God's called to get it there. When we see people hurting like that, we are the people that God wants to use to get the gospel there. There are others that aren't so so soft and tender. Psalms fifty one seventeen says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou will not despise. You know what God wants us to do? He wants to make sure our hearts are right. That's why he's put us right here. Next week, the Lord's Supper is coming up. And I don't know anything about anybody. I just know about me. And I just I hope you're like me. You just want to make sure that our hearts are right with the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, thank for this time to consider these two uh, plagues, Lord, the plague of frogs, the plague of lice. And as we see uh, Pharaoh's heart grow increasingly hard,